And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. Holy God, we come to this time and we sit under these words. Father, I recognize that as we come here this morning that we do come from all sorts of different places. Uh, some of us are here and uh, we, are in, we are like the sunshine outside. Things are so good. Others of us are here, and we are in grief. Uh, We are a mess. Lord, some of us are here, and we're thankful to be healthy, to be employed, uh, to have uh, families that are free of crisis. Others of us are here, and our bodies are are broken. Um, Our families are not well. Uh, we're, We're anxious about all kinds of different things. And Lord, Lastly, I recognize that some of us are here uh, believing in you, having believed in you for a long time, looking forward to what it is that you will say in these words. And others of us are here, and we're not quite sure if you're real. We're not quite sure if these words will have any impact on the things in our lives that we're most concerned about. Uh, So, Father, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, uh, whether we are in a state of joy or or in deep sadness, whether we are here in faith or or dealing with all kinds of doubts, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all do come the same with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. Would you open our eyes and show us how you have met and addressed this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, delighted to be with you. We are officially starting our next sermon series that we're calling Friend of Sinners. And the idea behind this sermon series is really twofold. I want to dive deeply into what is really at the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that our Lord Jesus Christ, who is holy, right, who has never committed any sins, who is God Himself, that nonetheless that He pursues you, not most intently when you've gotten things right, but the Scripture points up the fact that while we were enemies, while we were sinners, that that is the the, uh, context in which our Lord Jesus draws near to us. That That is when He does His best work. It's not when we've gotten things right, but when we have made a complete mess. The second aspect that we're going to be looking at is how that activity of Christ enables you to have friendships with other people that are not possible apart from Christ, right? That you can have friendships with others that our world and our culture will be puzzled by and will be drawn to. And I want to say just at the beginning that, you know, it's been a wild ride planting this church. Times I think about that. Um, it's been a wild ride, and, and we've seen God do a number of different things. 
And one of the things that I've been particularly thankful for, and I actually, I don't, I don't do this a lot, but I want to actually honor someone. Uh, and she's not here, so I can do it. But when we started, when we started the church, um, you know, if you don't know Chrissy, my wife, I encourage you to get to know her. She's a, she's a special person. And she brought something to the church that I think really set the character uh, in so many ways. And the thing that she brought to the church that was such a special secret sauce that I'm so deeply thankful for is she brought her sins, right? That she, she has this ability to be extraordinarily real with people. If you've interacted with her, you know what I'm talking about. You know, and she brought a, a culture that said, look, this is who I am. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I'm happy to be honest with you. That's who she is. And I, I really look back and, and, and credit um, that approach to setting a culture at our church that has enabled a culture of friendship that we've seen developed to a significant degree, right? That Ironworks has fostered friendships that are frankly unusual in our world. And, and the secret sauce behind those friendships is being okay with the fact that you're a sinner. That, that's really to so, such a large degree, uh, and as this passage will bear out, I hope to, to show you from this text, uh, the biggest roadblock to genuine friendship that, that I've seen in my travels is an unwillingness to accept the fact that you are a sinner. Right, we're going to see that brought out in this passage. And so it's on my heart, friends, uh, as we come out of COVID, and as our culture is really moving in the opposite direction of these things, it's on my heart to take what the Lord has started here and to see it move to the next level. Right? I think over the last year, we've seen friendships challenged We've seen them stretched. We've seen, in some cases, them broken, right? And my heart in this series and what I'm hoping to see and what I want God to do is I want God to take your friendships to the next level. What does that mean? Well, the way that I've been thinking about this is as follows. If uh, what, what I see, what I've seen happen is that um, folks are, are, are drawn in by vulnerability right? You know, Chrissy's special secret sauce that she kind of started and, and you all have, have continued. They're drawn in by vulnerability. Wow, this person is, is acknowledging something that, that we feel, but we don't often acknowledge. That's wonderful. That's special. And, and we see friendships happen. But then at some point in time, it is inevitable that that person being a sinner will eventually sin against you right? And that's a whole other level, isn't it? It's one thing if, you, if, you're, if you're friends with someone and you see that they're, they're excited about what God is doing in their life and they are, you know, growing and changing, and that's great. But what happens when that sin ends up hurting you, right? Will it, will it result in a friendship being deepened? Will it, will it proceed? Or will it be irreparably fractured? Now, I do want to say, by the way, that in, in kind of a preface to my remarks that, uh, you know, there are times where, you know, relationships should not continue. I mean, there, I, I'm thinking really of extreme cases like abuse and things like that. So, I want to, I want to acknowledge that there are certain kinds of things that, that probably ought to separate folks for the long term. If someone's been, 
you know, rising to that level of abuse, or et cetera, I, I would not tell a, an abuse victim to go be, you know, uh, pursue friendship with their abuser. So I want to make clear about that. But on the other hand, friends, what I've noticed, what I've seen pastorally is I've seen friendships fractured where they shouldn't be, okay? Pastorally, this is not, you know, we can talk about extremes all day, but what I've seen is I've seen friendships fractured beyond where they should be. These are not extreme cases. So, how do we move forward in this? And, and this is what I want to try to get at in this passage today. So, let's get into it together. What's happening in this passage is that Jesus is going about His business, doing what He does, which is surprising all the people of His day. If you read the Gospels, and if you haven't read the Gospels, I encourage you to start, right? What you'll notice is that Jesus is always surprising people, He's, he's always doing stuff that people don't expect, and he's, he's making waves, and he's creating all these questions. And uh, the activity that he does here in our passage is he decides to pursue really the worst of the worst, right? He decides to pursue people who are hated and despised and despicable human beings, and, and he seeks to pursue them in, in the context, actually, of friendship. Let me, let's look at that together. Um, uh, I'm actually going to read in verse 9. I had a, a mistake. I should have read in verse 9 earlier. It says this. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And friends, what the Scripture is seeking to point up here is that Jesus takes the initiative to pursue this man who, who was really despised, right, was really despised in his day. If, if you were a tax collector uh, in, in the context of an occupied nation, uh, you were probably corrupt. You were probably uh, taking some of the money for yourself. You were hated by all. Um, you were seen as compromising with the occupying authorities. And so he was, you know, tax collectors were absolutely despised. I want to ask you to think about Who's, who do you despise the most? I want you to think of one person. And some of you are like, I don't despise anyone. I love everyone. I don't believe you. <laughs> I despise your lying. <laughs> don't be self-deceived. Right? Who do you despise the most, I wonder? Come on. It's not hard. Got to get used to it. Who do, you, who do you despise the most? Think about it. Right? Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a public figure. You know, maybe it's one of these scandals that's happened. Maybe it's someone personal. Maybe it's a family member, you know, frankly. Who do you despise the most? Well, I want you to think about that, and then I want you to think about the Lord Jesus Christ seeking not to simply correct them, not to simply zap them into someone different, but to invite them into his home for friendship. That's what's happening here, right? We see that in verse 10, it says, Jesus is reclining at the table, Right? He's reclining at the table. And if you've seen, you know, the painting of the Last Supper, right, you understand that uh, this was like a fairly intimate activity, you know, to be invited to recline together with folks in that culture uh, was a fairly intimate activity. And uh, you cannot separate this from the idea of friendship. So Jesus is going around. Uh, and by the way, if you look in verse 10, Matthew isn't the only one that's invited, is he? Look in verse 10. It says, Jesus reclined at the table in the house, and behold, what? Many tax collectors and sinners 
were reclining with him. Okay, many. Right now, think about this. Not just the person you despise most, but think about the people that when you think about them, you think this is what's wrong in the world. Right? These are the, these are the things that are wrong in the world. And Jesus is singling out every single one of those people, and he's saying, I want you to come close to me. I want you to come and to be part of my community. I want you to try to, it's really important that you don't uh, go over this, because if you go over this, you will completely miss the point of this. Jesus is going to those people that you have a problem with, right? The people that you think have it all wrong, and he's inviting them into his home to recline. Think the, you know, the painting of the Last Supper. This is an intimate activity. And it says that he's invited many of them, many of the wrong people to come into his home and to engage in what's called table fellowship, right? To eat with him, to have, to have connection with him. And friends, uh, the, the New Testament will not relent on this point. It will not relent on the activity of Christ to pursue the wrong people, not simply in the context of here, I'm here to teach you, but here, I'm here to befriend you. So let me, um, if you know Romans 5, uh, verses 8 through 10, Paul makes a really strong point of this, where he says, you know, to understand the love of God, that's what he's saying in in the chapter 5, he's saying the love of God is poured out in our hearts. What does that look like? Answer, it looks like while we were weak, while we were still sinners, and then he will amp it up another level, and he say, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. He said, Christ pursues you, not when you had it mostly together, but when you were at your worst. That is the heart and the essence of the gospel. And friends, I want to tell you pastorally that, you know, when I look at my growth, I look at your growth, it's no surprise that the thing that gets in the way the most of you growing as a Christian is understanding this point, is understanding your own sin. You know, I was thinking about this. It's a weird thing being a Christian, right? It's a weird thing growing as a Christian. Some of you are here and are Christian. Some of you are not. Um, you know, and we, we rejoice in that. We want to see uh, folks from all places uh, coming. But it's a weird thing to grow as a Christian. I just want to try to sketch this out for you. When you become a Christian, right, you're all of a sudden made aware of all these ways in which your life is not in accordance with Christ's will for you. And so what often happens, what, what usually happens, what's normal and good to happen is you seek to grow. You seek to take the sins that you're committing and to change from them, right? So we've seen, you know, for example, we have a, a thriving uh, men's accountability group, and these guys, you know, are saying, look, we want to live in moral purity. We don't want to be involved in pornography or, or things like that. We want to live in moral purity. And what happens by God's grace is that they begin to succeed, Right? And the same for you. What, what is your sins that you've had to overcome? Right? If you're a Christian, you will see over time that you overcome sins, that you have sins that you used to commit five years ago, that by God's grace that you've gained freedom over. Like, I've seen that in you. I've seen you grow and change in all kinds of ways. But there's a weird dynamic as a Christian because what we find is that It's normal that as we walk with Christ that we grow so that some of the sins that we used to be in bondage to are now put to death, right? 
But as we grow, we begin to understand that we are more sinful than we previously appreciated. I can tell you personally, friends, right? I I have seen, by God's grace, I have seen uh, sins put to death in me over the last 10, 15, 20 years, right, that I'm thankful for. But I have never felt more like a sinner than I did yesterday. I, I would tell you, reading this passage, thinking it through, I was overcome more than I have ever been in my entire life, ever, with how profoundly broken I am. I was thinking about, yeah, I've gotten victory over this, I've gotten victory over that, praise the Lord, but my goodness, I'm worse than I knew. As you grow as a Christian, you see that you get victory over some things, but then as you know Christ more deeply, you begin to appreciate that there's far more wrong with you than you ever imagined. And friends, I'm here to tell you that that is a great thing. That is an absolutely great thing. I have this quote from Bonhoeffer, and Bonhoeffer is going to be the man in this series because if you want to read about this, uh, his book, Life Together, is just astounding, and I encourage encourage you to check it out. Uh, Let me just read to you a quote from Bonhoeffer. It says this. It says, it may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, may still be left to their loneliness, right? That's without friendship. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everyone must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly identified among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are sinners. That's what Bonhoeffer says. Right? And what he's saying, of course, is that the key to friendship, the the answer to loneliness, is in acknowledging and in growing in your own awareness of your own sin, right? And that we'll see in our passage how that will affect your relationships with others. So in our passage, uh, the Lord Jesus, of course, is surprising the Pharisees. The Pharisees were looked at as the experts, religious experts at that time. And they, of course, asked the disciples, they say, why is Jesus pursuing the wrong people? Why is he drawing in these folks to be close to him. What is going on with that? And of course, Jesus uh, hears about it. And what he says is this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but the sinners. You see, friends, what's happening here, and and part of uh, what's going on is that the Pharisees did not did not appreciate this teaching that I'm giving you at all, right? They, they were not able to engage with sinners because they were able to draw a distinction between sinners and themselves, right? And what that produced is an attitude of judgment. So one of, one of the, used to be, not really anymore, but one of the favorite verses in, in secular culture, 
secular culture used to have a favorite verse, is uh, judge not lest you be judged. And it was the battle cry for tolerance. And of course, the greatest irony of the whole thing is that the same folks that uh, preached that verse are some of the most judgmental people that I've ever experienced, <laughs> right? So that's kind of, a, an, kind of, I guess, actually the point here. But what the Pharisees are doing is that they are in the business of judging others. Now, uh, when I, whenever I teach on this, this verse, you know, judge not lest you be judged, uh, I always clarify that, you know, what Jesus is, is not saying is He's not saying, look, don't ever make an assessment about, you know, the moral righteousness of, of a decision, right? So, if you want to decide to, uh, out of road rage, you know, run over a pedestrian, like, I'm going to judge you that that's bad, right? I'm going to say, you know, humbly speaking, pastorally, I want to encourage you, brother, to not run over a pedestrian, okay? I know that you're upset, but no, in all seriousness, right? It's the passage is not saying don't make a moral assessment. It's not criticizing that. What is it criticizing? Well, friends, what I think it's criticizing is that uh, there's a dynamic in that you can either relate to people in judgment, right, whereby your assessment results in you distancing yourself from them, or you can relate to others with the same assessment, but it causes you to draw near to them in love, right? That, that's kind of the dynamic. Judge not lest you be judged. And the Pharisees did not understand that. They did not understand this. So what, what does Jesus say to do? What is the solution? Well, of course, it's, it's in verse 12 and 13. This is what Jesus says. He says, you know, in order for you to move toward people, you have to understand who I am. And this was, uh, again, precisely, I think, one of the biggest issues that they had was that they did not understand who God's Messiah was at His essence. And Jesus uses this word that I love. He says, I am your healer. I am your physician. I've come for the purpose of healing you. It's this idea in this word, physician. He says, and I've come specifically for the sickest of the sick. Friends, and that's what I'll tell you, if you want to move close to Jesus, right, if you want to move closer to Him in the same way, if you want to move closer to other people, the way there is high definition, appreciating and understanding and accepting your own brokenness. And as you do that, what you'll find is that you are able to move towards others in a way that you previously couldn't. Because receiving mercy from Christ results in being able to show that same mercy to others. I want to show this to you. Uh, verse 13, and you know, I love verse 13, and I love what Jesus says. Look at the first words of verse 13. Jesus says, you know, your issue is, dear Pharisees, dear scholars, you know, gentlemen and scholars, says the problem that you have is that you don't understand the Scriptures. And he says, go and learn what this means. And I'll, you know, think about that for just a second. He's, he gives them one sentence, and he says, you need to go away for a while and sit with this. You don't simply need to read it. You need to really consider and ponder and drink in the teaching of this verse that you probably memorized as, as little boys, right, back in catechism school. You have no idea what it means, and you need to go and think about it. And friends, in the same way, I want to tell you that uh, I actually encourage you to do the same thing. 
I encourage you to take verse 13, which is a reference to Hosea 6.6, and to sit with this verse all week. I want to encourage you to do that. I want, I want you to acknowledge the fact that you cannot simply hear one sermon or read one sentence and fully appreciate the weight of what's being said. That's what, what Jesus says. He says, go. Don't stay here. You're not going to learn in this moment. You need to go. Go and learn what this means. And it's interesting, if I was reflecting on Hosea 6.6, the New Testament often quotes the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. That's, you know, New Testament was in Greek. They often quotes the, uh, the Greek version of the Old Testament. But if you read it in Hebrew, uh, it says this. Uh, this is the ESV translation. It says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. And I've been waiting to say this word all through coronavirus, okay? This word steadfast love is the Hebrew word chesed. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Stephanie. Did you feel that? I'm fully vaccinated. Okay. Um, Anyway, chesed. It's a, did I say that correctly? I haven't been in Hebrew in a while. Yeah, it's good. All right, Sam approves. Chesed. So this idea of chesed is a very special word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's the idea of God's covenant love, right? So why it's, why it's this word in English is steadfast. And the idea behind this word is that God's love is the kind of love that stops at nothing to pursue someone. It stops at absolutely nothing to pursue someone. And that's why we call it a covenant love, because God says, right, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that is expressed most powerfully when loving you cost God that which he values the most, namely his own son, and he says, Yes, I will stop not even at that. Romans chapter 8, for he did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for us all. And friends, what, what Christ is saying as he's looking back on Hosea 6, 6, is he's saying, look, I'm not asking you to do things for me. That's sacrifice. I'm not simply asking you to get your habits in order, to, you know, give more to the temple, right, to, to bring a better offering. He's like, I'm asking you to begin to love like I love. I'm beginning to ask you to love in a covenant way, right, to stop at nothing at pursuing others because that's how I am. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, look, Pharisees, you think it's about just separating the good from the bad? He's like, no, it is about you being changed at the deepest level so that you begin to love like I love. And friends, I want to tell you, right? I just want to be very clear with you. This is what God demands. He demands you to stop at nothing in pursuing others, right? Like I said, there are limits with abuse and everything. I don't want to, we can talk about that if you have questions. Um, but in general, he wants you to stop at nothing at pursuing others. And friends, the best way to do that, the only way for you to become like God in that way is for you to drink deeply of what Christ has done for you. Right, that is, that is the, the way this works. And Jesus will, will say this so clearly uh, as he sits with the prostitute and he says, look, she's getting it. She's your leader. She's your mentor. Why? 
because she understands her own forgiveness. She understands how, how wrong she has been and how deeply I have loved her. And so, you know, the best thing that you can do for your own friendships is actually to come to this table. It's to drink deeply of Christ. It's to acknowledge how broken you are. And don't stop until it begins to change the way that you feel about others. And I, I think that if, if we are successful, if God hears my prayers in this regard, I want to tell you that I believe we will see a powerful movement of God in our city. Right? I think you all know that our culture is moving in the opposite direction. We are in a season in our culture where the culture is now uh, against the idea of forgiveness. I don't know if you've noticed that, but our culture is now opposed to the idea of forgiveness, right? That people ought not be forgiven, right? That you do, you do the wrong thing, you mess up, and that should haunt you forever. That is where our culture is at. And friends, I, 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 it's obvious, but our culture is going to self-destruct under the weight of no forgiveness. And friends, I believe that this is a profound and powerful opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to live out something that will have such a profound contrast to all that is happening in our world and culture that we could see genuine revival. And I want to call you to that. But, not, but again, you shouldn't care about what I'm calling you to. Christ himself so clearly calls you to that. He says, go and learn what this means. Go and learn who I am. Go and be changed by me. Let me pray for you. Father God, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we adore you. And I pray, O oh Christ, that you would do this work in us. Father, I pray for all who are here. Uh, and I pray for, Lord, all, all of the friendships that are broken or been uh, damaged. Lord, I pray that you would do a reviving work uh, in accordance to what we see in this passage. Lord, I pray that you would bring spiritual revival to us. Lord, would you renew a sense of how deeply we are loved in Christ? Would you renew a sense of who you are? And would it change us so that we begin to love like that? And Father, lastly, we pray that it would change not just us, but that it would change our very city. Lord, that as our world self-destructs, uh, under a view of no forgiveness, would you permit a fruitful season of the preaching of this gospel? Would you let Ironworks Church have real and genuine spiritual power? Would you bring revival? We've seen you do it in the past. We ask you to renew that in our day, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.